Well, as your rector said, this is my last time with you as your bishop. It may not be the last time I'm here, but it is my last time as your bishop. And as I look out on this congregation, I can remember many times with some of you down through the years. This has always been a, a congregation, and even as I look out today, uh, strong in um, men who follow Christ. Many churches have women who are strong with Christ, but not all that many have men who are strong in Christ. I give thanks for both being here today. Please join me in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the fire and burn. Convert and consecrate our lives for our great good and for the greater glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I have been told that you are making your way through some key or high points in the Old Testament. And it is... Uh, my task to take up this story of Jonah which gets us into a tight situation if you will <laughs> and I don't want to go in through all the questions about whether this is a story primarily told to convey some great truths of the Old Testament faith and God's passion, and whether it was a fish, a whale, or what it was, or how it could possibly be. I think we have a more important task to deal with this morning. You could say it's a rescue project of a man running from God. Jonah is the eternal picture of a man running from God, a person running from God, from the call of God, from the voice of God, from the work that God has called him or her to do. It can be a running from a life of service to God or running from a call to forgive someone you just don't want to forgive to let go of something you just don't want to let go of to yield something over to God that is just too precious for you to trust him with our text this morning begins in the middle of the story just as the story of Jonah begins in the middle of Israel's story. So it begins with, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the whale, or the fish, three days and three nights. Why was he there? It was a severe mercy of God a rescue project that was in itself a judgment upon Jonah 
and the judgment that was as all the judgments of God are in this life a kind of rescue all too often we want a God without wrath to judge a human being without sin by a Christ without a cross but it cannot be no we all will need the sign of Jonah written over our lives and it's all too easy to be critical of Jonah not living in his world and not dealing with the things that he is having to deal with the first chapter begins with God speaking to a prophet which is not in and of itself unusual is it and the word of the Lord came to Jonah so the son of Amittiah saying arise go to Nineveh that great city and call out against it for the evil has come before me their evil has come before me rare is the person rare is the Christian that does not have some evil force evil power some unchangeable reality in their lives for which they would cry out to God, deliver me, change this situation, intervene, whether it be in the, in the issues of our nation, the issues of our religion, the issues of our personal life, the issues of our family, the issues of our marriages, issues within our children's lives. Rare is the person that does not think evil is come before you, God. Do something about it. But Jonah's concern is this, that he has complete confidence that if he follows through with what God calls him to do and to speak to the Ninevites, that they will repent. And that, frankly, is the last thing they want. Nineveh and the Ninevites to do. And so he runs from the presence of God. Three times in this chapter, we are told that Jonah ran from the presence of God. Verse four, 3 of chapter 1, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. God told him to go to the northwest, northeast, and he went to the southwest. Have you ever found yourself not wanting to be in the presence of God? To go away from him, to have his eye not upon you, to go and do what you want to do. In all of this, it is a struggle. I had a, a grandson. My wife, Allison, and I have 18 grandchildren. And my grandson, who was in the fifth grade, came to me one day and said, Grandpa, I have a problem. I said, what is it? He said, I've got a, I've got a, a boy in my class who used to be my friend. And now all he does is try to bully me. And he has a friend that he, that he uh, comes with and is always trying to bully me. 
laugh at me, ridicule me, do all sorts of things negatively. I said, when does he do this? In the classroom? Well, occasionally he does it in the classroom and the teacher tells him to stop it. But it's worse when we go out into the playground. And the worst of all, when I'm standing outside the class waiting for my mom or my dad to come and pick me up after school. And both of them are just there bullying me. He's got his Ninevite, if you will. What should I do about it? Well, I told him he had four options. I'm not going to go through all of them. <laughs> but he's a big boy. I said, is he bigger than you? No, he's much smaller than me. I said, well, you could always take him out, son. <laughs> but you know, you don't want his, his grandfather, the bishop, telling him to knock out some kid and wind up being expelled from school for starting a fight when he's taken out this kid. So that's not a very good option, but it's an alternative when worse comes to worse, mind you. And in my day, that's what we would have done. But anyway, it's a different world out there now. They deal with bullies in different ways. So having walked through the other ways, uh, I, I said, well, you can always pray that God will show you how you ought to deal with it. I saw him just the other day. And I said, how's it going with the bully? He says, we're friends again. Thanks be to God. But you see, Jonah wanted God to take out the Ninevites, a cruel and despicable and violent people who were oppressing the Israelites. And when God said, go to the Ninevites and preach to them my judgment, he said, I know how you are, God. You are great in mercy and in steadfast love and eager to forgive when someone repents. And there are some people we just want to have experience their comeuppance. We want them to experience the kind of pain and grief they've caused us. So Jonah has a problem with the job that God has given him to do. But he had a bigger problem still with the one who gave him the promise, the challenge, the call. I was talking with a woman just recently the other day who thought that from all the things that she had done to sacrifice for God's kingdom, God's work, that God should somehow or another have made, be making her life now in these latter years a little easier. And so she was complaining about this and about that. I said, pause for a minute, would you? Tell me, what are you really angry about? Most poignantly. And in a moment of honesty, she said, I'm angry at God. Well, that's what Jonah is. He's angry at God. And he knows he can't compete and fight on fair ground with God, so he wants to run away. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down into a boat. And when he gets on the boat, he goes down into the lowest part of the boat. 
And finally, he goes down into the depths of the sea. You know how the psalmist puts it in Psalm 139. He says, Where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? If I climb up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the grave, you are there also. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your right hand finds me. Your right hand holds me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will cover me. And the light around me, night around me, light around me turned to day. Excuse me, the light around me turned to night. Surely uh, darkness and light to you, O Lord, are both alike. So where can we go from him? Especially when we don't want him interfering with our lives. Those relationships that have gone bad those situations that are are too much for us. John Claypool tells uh, a poignant story about two twin brothers who grew up in the Midwest in a small Midwestern town. They they dressed all the way through school in, in similar clothes. They participated in the same activities. Their father owned the, the, the hardware store in the town to which the whole community gathered round for things. They worked there every weekend. And when they went off to college, they went to the same college. And after college, they came home to run the family business. And so close were they as brothers that neither married And when they took over the business of their father that had been handed down from their grandfather, it was seen as an example of cooperative work to run a business. And it was a place that everyone in the town loved together, not just to buy the things that need to be bought, that old-style hardware store, but a place where you went just to talk with people. One day a man came into the store to buy a small item, less than $10. And uh, the the one brother working on uh, uh, the, the bin storing things was out of the way while the other brother was waiting on the customer and talking as he did to the customer he just put the $10 bill that the man gave him on the the cash register and walked with him out to the front of the store and then talked there for a while at the front of the store as people do in the Midwest and I suppose in South Carolina small towns as well and then the brother after the conversation went back to put the $10 in the cash till only to find it was gone He said to his brother who was stocking things in the bins, you didn't by chance see that $10 bill, did you, and put it in in the cash till? No, the brother said, I've been stocking all morning. If he'd left it there, all things would have been fine. A small amount of money would have gone unaccounted for and unrecorded. 
But such it is, is with relationships. A little bit later, he said, when he saw his brother, are you sure you didn't see that $10 bill and put it in the cash till? Picking up, as brothers do and as relationships do, a little accusation in the tone of voice, the other brother said, I told you I didn't. I've been working in the bins all day and the stocks. No, I haven't seen it. One thing led to another. Before long, that became the pressure point in the relationship. They fell out with one another. They eventually separated the business. They built a wall down the middle of their grandfather and father's hardware store, and each demanded of everyone in, in the community to choose which of the brothers' store they would patronize. That went on for 20 years. One day, a man with an out-of-state license plate drove up in front of the store 20 years later, and he went into one of the stores. He didn't know exactly which one to go into, two entrances in one building. And he found a man uh, uh, at, at the desk and asked him, are you by chance the owner of this uh, uh, business? He said, yes. Says, have you owned it for 20 years or more? Yes, the man said, uh, I have. Well, you're the man I need to do business with. 20 years I was, uh, ago, I was down on my luck and hopping from town to town and hopping on the rails. I hopped off at your town and being hungry and having no money to speak of. I was walking by the back of your building and the back door was open. And I looked in and didn't see anyone near the cash till, but I saw a $10 bill. And I heard a man talking way in the front of the building. And I went in, got the $10, bought myself a meal, and went on down the road. But I was raised to be a Christian. And that troubled me. And God would give me no rest. I finally decided to myself if I was ever back in the area, I would drop in and I would not only restore the $10, but the amount of money it would have accrued in those 20 years. And sir, here's a $100 bill. I want to pay my debt. He stood there suddenly before a man with lines of pain, broken relationship upon his face, and a tear coming down from his cheek, and a man looking down at his shoes, raised his eyes and looked at the stranger and said, Sir, would you go next door with me and tell that story to the man who is there? So going next door with the one brother, they approached the other brother and two men looking very much alike with lines of broken relationship upon their face. He told him the story. And with both men looking down at their shoes, he said, I'm here to pay a debt. And the second brother said, no, you're here to reconcile. 
two brothers to one another. Sometimes we run from the call of God. Sometimes we ignore the voice he asks us to address. Sometimes we're like Jonah, wanting to get away from the presence of God because he wants us to do something that we just don't want to do. You see, the story of Jonah is the story of every man. But God has put it here in the midst of this Old Testament passage in order to get us to see that sometimes it's not until we go down into the depths of despair and despondency and things that we are unable to change that we know what to do. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah who was running from the presence of God who brought other people into his rebellion who caused pain into the lives of the fishermen whose boat he got upon demanding of them to do things that he would not do himself. Finally, in their despair, knowing no other thing to do but to toss Jonah overboard because God had hurled a storm because of Jonah's rebellion, and sinking there into the depths of the sea, God, in his severe mercy and his rescue mission, sent a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And there he prayed. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, that is, out of the place of the dead, out of my distress I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. Sometimes when we refuse to re repent, sometimes when we refuse to forgive, sometimes when we refuse to let go of something, that which we're holding on to takes us down until we get to a place where all we can do is surrender because we are beyond our capacity to do anything. The waters closed in over me and took my life. The deep surrounded me and weeds were wrapped about my head and the roots of the mountains and went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. And then comes this great line. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And when that was spoken, when that prayer was recognized, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And Jonah becomes then the recognition, the e eternal picture, the man running from God, God's call, God's voice, God's work, God's purposes. 
until forgiveness is granted to him. And down into the depths he goes. What does this have to do with Jesus, though? When Jesus says, no sign will be given this evil and adulterous generation but the sign of Jonah. He is the one, you know, who for our sins, in order to grant us forgiveness from a God will with wrath who will judge a man and woman with sin by a Christ who will bear a cross that will enable us to receive the forgiveness that we cannot get for ourselves and enable us to forgive the unforgivable, to move on to the unforgettable, and to follow the one who makes it all possible for us to live the life of grace and mercy that we cannot achieve on our own. George Herbert has a wonderful poem. He says, I struck the board and cried no more. I will abroad. Why should I ever sigh or pine? My lines in life are free, as loose as the wind as large as store. And as I grew more fierce and wild, in my rebellion, that is, at every word, Methought I heard one calling child, and I replied, My Lord, that one still calls to us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will refresh you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But the man who knows and feels the power and the grip of his own sin will surely have to say at some point, who will pay the price for this? Who will give the account of this? Like the man who's committed adultery, and finally confesses it to his wife and sees her pain and her grief and sorrow and realizes that she bears his sin in her heart and body and life if there is to be forgiveness. So Jesus, in a worldwide salvation, bears the sin of every human being when he goes down into the belly not of the fish but into the belly of the darkness of the cross into the darkness that is darker than darkness itself to bear the sin that is yours and mine and to forgive the two brothers who are alienated and to enable them to forgive one another because they have been forgiven so Jonah becomes not only this example of the man who is eternally running from God, he also, when he goes down into the belly of the whale, begins to be a, an example, an archetype 
of Christ who goes down into the depths of sin in order to forgive and bring reconciliation for us. I conclude with one, maybe I better conclude there. I just looked at the clock. (laughs) It's an hour fast, but it's still 45 minutes into the service. Let let me just tell one story. I'm going to tell it anyway. (laughs) You probably have heard me, some of you may have heard me tell this story, but it illustrates this whole thing of Jesus breaking through to the one who is running away from God. It's about a man named George Harley who at the age of 35 had five earned degrees. He had a degree in theology, a degree in anthropology, a degree in sociology. He was a medical doctor, had a degree in medicine, and had a degree, advanced degree in diseases of the tropics, and felt at the age of 35 that God was calling him to the mission field. He was married to a woman named Winifred, who was seven and a half months pregnant. This was in the early years of the 1900s, and they they lived in North Carolina, and they got into a boat and sailed across the sea because they felt God was calling them to the mission field, and they went into a place what we think of today as Liberia. They boarded from the boat, and they went into a place no white man had ever been before, and one night while they were traveling through the jungles, uh, setting up camp, Winifred said to George, don't look now, George, but there are faces behind those trees, and George said... Don't worry, God is with us. God will take care of us. The next morning they awoke and went a little further. They came to a bend in the river where there was a a village. And they both sensed this is the place that God has called us to serve. So they went into the village. They built three huts, one hut in which to live, one hut to be a medical hut, and one hut to be a worship hut. Their little boy Robert was born. He was now three years old. One day, George was working in the medical hut. And he looked out of the window and saw his little boy, Robert, run and stumble and fall. The little boy got up again and ran and stumbled and fell again. George said, oh, Lord, no, not my boy, Robert. The tropics have gotten to him. George said, I ran out and scooped Robert up. I brought him back into the medical hut. I laid him on the dispensary table, and and I said, don't worry, Robert. Your, Your father has five earned degrees. He will find out what's wrong. George said, I reached back for everything I knew, but I presided over the death of my boy thousands of miles from my home in Norwood, North Carolina. George said, Winifred and I, we built a little box. We put some African leaves in it. And I picked it up and started walking to the village, to the burial ground. When I walked by the blacksmith shop, the blacksmith said, what do you got there? I said, I got my boy, Robert. He said, I'll help you carry him. Three years we had been there, and that was the first offer of help we had received. Winifred and I and the blacksmith got out to the burial ground. We dug a hole, and we put the little casket in. We covered it up with dirt, and George said, I made a makeshift cross, and I stuck it in the ground. 
And I tried to say some prayers, but I was so overcome by grief, I collapsed on the ground with my head right beneath that cross. I began to weep like a child for the past. When I heard the blacksmith running back to the village, yelling at the top of his lungs, white man, white man, white man, he'd cry like one of us. He'd cry like one of us. And next Sunday, George said, Winifred and I somehow or another dragged ourselves down to the worship hut expecting no one to be there because we had been there for three years and no one had ever come to the worship hut, though they'd come to the medical hut every day. We expected no one to be there and the whole village was there. The next Sunday, the whole village was there. And that's the way it was from that time on. Well, George was back in the United States at a church like this on missionary furlough, and he told the story of his boy Robert breaking through to the people. And people were going out, shaking his hand, but one man stopped and said, Dr. Harley, that was a powerful story you told about your son shaking his hand. But you know what bothered me about that story? And Dr. Harley said, no, what? You had to give up your son in order to break through to the people. And George looked at him with penetrating eyes and said, that is what God had to do too. You see, there is something about us that runs from God, from his call, from his voice, from his love from his forgiveness, from his mercy. And in his severe mercy, he brings us eventually to the place that we are at the end of our rope, in the depths of our despair. And we cry out like Jonah that God alone saves. God alone saves because he alone has sent his son into the world to take the place of the Jonah in each of us, that each of us might be an announcement of forgiveness to a broken world. There's only one sign given to a, gen a sinful, adulterous generation. It is the sign of Jonah, of the one who goes down into the depths of the sea to bring the mercy, the severe mercy and forgiveness of God to each of our lives. I pray that this day you might receive his mercy. And having received his mercy, grant a mercy to those in your life that need it from you as well as from God. Amen.